Okay, uh, here we go. Domain query. The Indian Blue Pill Beta. Uh, very warm welcome to everyone listening in, uh, to all my SoundCloud subscribers and to readers from the blog. Uh, this is a response to a, an excellent question asked by reader Mr. Univac uh, to a post that I wrote up. Actually, it's um, Monday's post. And in Monday's post, uh, I basically made a comment about uh, Indian tech workers and Indian tech support workers. This was, there's a bit of a long story behind this. Um, uh, a, a reader from Poland, uh, of all, all places, wrote in and offered up a couple of videos, very kindly offered a couple of videos uh, made by some very funny Pollocks uh, concerning various topics that polls find funny and one of the videos uh, was about what it's like to call tech support and to get an Indian voice on the other end of the line and it was hysterically funny for me because that's exactly what it's like it's every single call ever to an Indian call center uh, for a Western oriented mind or Western oriented worker is incredibly frustrating because these people have no ability to think outside the box, none whatsoever. If you've ever had the miserable experience of calling a call center to get your problem resolved, it's always the same thing. They go through a checklist of things that they need to do. They speak in a very stilted and formal way. They're not imaginative. They're not capable of understanding that you've probably already gone through a bunch of the steps yourself, that you've seen this problem before, you know what you're doing, uh, you know, I've had issues with getting password resets done on my Windows machine where I've, I'll, be, I'll be on the phone for like 20 minutes and the guy, will, the guy still won't have a clue as to the fact that I just need my password reset. Um, I once had an issue uh, with a, a synchronization error basically between my Windows profile and the main server. I couldn't log into my PC for two and a half days. I had to leave work, go home, call the, the, the people there uh, at the call center. It had to get escalated to level two management uh, in Poland, of all places, interestingly enough. And the Poles weren't able to figure it out either. And it's not their fault, uh, but they were, they were a lot more responsive, a lot more interested in helping out. And finally, I had to get rerouted back to desk side support in the United States, uh, meaning people actually in the building, IT guys who could fix the problem. And they quickly realized that it was just a synchronization issue between my PC and the main computer. It took them two and a half days to fix this entire problem. And it cost me two and a half days of lost productivity where I couldn't work at all. I was completely out of the loop. So this is what it's like. It's, it's an incredibly frustrating, incredibly irritating experience. And uh, following on from that, I basically said, uh, where's the effect that... Uh, you know, they're, they're an incredibly uh, difficult and unpleasant group of people to work with, even though Indians in general can be pretty decent people. Uh, they can be pretty easy to get along with. And a lot of uh, the comments after that uh, from Mr. Univac and others uh, confirmed this. And they said, you know, I would never want to deal with Indian tech support ever. I said, yeah, that's true. And I said, um, essentially, one of the reasons why uh, Indians are incapable of dealing with unexpected situations is because of their culture and another is because of their education. Uh, 
And on top of that, their men, I'm quoting now from my own words, their men are massive blue pill beaters at almost every level, thanks to the very dysfunctional sexual and marriage dynamics of the country. Okay, so that is where Mr. Univac comes in, and he asks, uh, quote, I always got that vibe just by being around and talking with them, but why is that the case? I think there's a very strong matriarchal bent in their society, but why are Indian mothers just that incredibly overbearing? And this is an excellent question, uh, and I would like to take a stab at answering it now. So, uh, here goes. Uh, if I sound a bit snuffly and, and weird, uh, it's, it's nothing particularly strange. I just seem to have some uh, allergy symptoms going on right now, and, um, you know, with pollen in the air and such, which is weird. I've, I've never been allergic much myself, but, you know, such things do happen. Okay, so why are... Indian men such massive blue pill beaters. Um, as many of my readers know, I am Indian myself. I don't sound like it, I don't act like it, um, I actively reject almost every aspect of Indian culture and have very little patience for any of it, but this is the society I was born into and I understand some things about it that maybe others don't. I also don't understand a lot of things about it that Indians themselves would understand very clearly. But to me, the reason why Indian men are such massive beaters has to do with the culture, the religion, and the demographics of the country. And let's start actually with, uh, with the culture first, um, because it affects everything else. The culture is steeped in Hinduism, all right? And Hinduism is not compatible at all in any way with Christianity. A lot of Indian nationalists would argue that Hinduism is superior to Christianity because it provides a more globalized, or not globalized, but universal uh, worldview, whereas Christianity is very narrow. And Hinduism can easily encompass Christianity because Hinduism accepts the idea of one god with a big G, many gods with a small g. And therefore, Hinduism is already beyond, has already evolved beyond the Christian ethic and is superior to it for that reason. Now, this is absolute nonsense. Um, the core aspect of Hinduism is that you worship one particular aspect of a much larger and uh, more important, um, you know, uh, devotional deity. So if you worship Agni, the fire god, you are actually worshipping just one aspect of God himself, but you don't have a personal relationship with that god. Uh, god does not come to you and try to bring you back away from sin. God is just a, you know, one aspect of him that, 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 you're, that you're appealing to, and it's only through rituals and offerings that you can appeal to him. But uh, in general, gods and, and demons are appeased through sacrifices. And the tradition of uh, goddesses ruling over their gods, their, their divine partners, is pretty well established in Hindu mythology. Um, the result is that their culture is steeped in this idea that uh, women can dominate their men. There is uh, very little by way of a commandment saying women must be subservient to their men. 
It's not like in Christianity where if you look in uh, in First Corinthians or in Galatians or uh, Ephesians, you will see very clear commandments from the Apostle Paul telling women, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The duality doesn't really exist in Hinduism. And that is reflected in their culture. Uh, all right, I know I said I'd start with culture first. I actually started with religion, but fine. Um, their culture reflects this. Uh, it is quite normal for wives to end up running the household and not submitting to their husband because there is no such commandment within their religion saying wives must be subservient to their husbands. I know this because my own grandmother was exactly like this. My grandfather was a, a wonderful man. I mean, I, I love my grandfather very much. I, I miss him to this day. Uh, he, he really was very proud of me. I think, I think it's fair to say I was his favorite grandchild. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, because I was the, of all his grandchildren, I was the one who was most like him. Uh, very intellectual, very interested in history literature, uh, science, mathematics, and all the rest of it. I was very much, was and am very much an intellectual child. Um, and he, he was the brainiac of his family. Uh, he was the, the success story come good. In the sense that he became a doctor and worked in government service, and his father uh, was a two-time uh, won two medals in mathematics or something and, and went to study at Cambridge and became a district judge. Um, so, you know, back in the days of the British Raj. So, all of this uh, contributed to a man who was intellectually quite brilliant, but unfortunately physically weak and uh, emotionally as well quite weak. And he got into an arranged marriage with a beautiful woman, uh, who was, I mean, she was beautiful at the time. She was very slender, very slim, very, very attractive, you know, had lots of great qualities. She was a beautiful singer. Uh, she, she played an instrument, but she hadn't, you know, she was lucky if she'd gone through a high school education, if that. My grandmother was a formidably intelligent woman with a volcanic temper. Uh, I always knew her as being a very sweet and loving person, but she was she was absolutely terrifying to her children. Uh, and this is the pattern that has been repeated throughout millions, hundreds of millions of Indian families. Weak father, dominant and overbearing mother. And this is the pattern that gets, gets repeated down all the way through uh, into the children. Why does this happen? Okay, the reason why it happens is because of the way India has come into the modern age. In 1947, when, when India achieved independence, uh, there was a very small, sort of, tiny sliver of the country that was successful, uh, and it got successful because of the British Raj. Um, the, the Brits did far more than they are given credit for in raising Indian living standards up. They Indian nationalists consistently and constantly deny this, and uh, uh, Western anti-imperialists and Western socialists consistently deny this. But the British Raj was actually a very good thing for India. They did tremendous good overall. 
And in my opinion, it's just my personal opinion, I think the British Raj was better on balance for India than, uh, like, it did, it, the, the, the British Raj was a net positive for India. And I've said so. I've, I've gone on record as saying this. There's an article called The Glory of the Raj on my blog. You can go look it up. You can read it. Where I lay out uh, the case that the British Raj was, in fact, a net benefit for India. Uh, which is an extremely unpopular opinion, both within and outside of India, but that's my opinion. Now, when the Raj was in power, the people, the Indians who advanced through society and who were able to get away from the crushing, grinding poverty of, um, of just peasant India were the doctors, the lawyers, the engineers, the accountants, the academics, and, in the less intellectual fields, the military types, okay? So you have two distinct classes of people who were successful, and then there's the vast rest um, who had to deal with the uh, extreme retardation, and that's the right word, and I'm going to offend a lot of Indians by saying this, but it's the correct word, the astonishing retardation of the Indian caste system. Um, I'll get back to that, but Let's focus on the education aspect of things for a while, or the success factors uh, aspect. So, the blueprint was set up in 1947 when independence was achieved. Uh, you had two types of people who would be successful, or who were successful in a society where success was uh, very rare. The, the vast majority of the people were grindingly poor. Um, so, in that in that kind of cultural milieu, what happened was that the people who uh, were considered marriage material, the men who were considered marriage material, were not the guys who were really successful with women. They were the guys who had stable jobs and the guys who had good incomes. And those guys tended to be, again, doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, uh, public servants. Okay? So, the cultural programming was already set up this way, where you didn't have to be great with women in order to get a woman. You just had to have a good job. So Indian women would get paired off and married to Indian men only if the family thought that the Indian man could provide well for his wife. It was not, it was not like um, in Western or Christian culture where... Uh, you know the, the the concept of arranged marriage was was had died out hundreds of years before uh, and romantic marriage had become much more important that concept didn't exist in India at that time so the idea of romantic love which is a very Christian concept by the way uh, hadn't come to India now you combine this uh, on the one side you know the, the, the professional career track uh, with the army career track or the military career track, uh, what, what defines success in the military? Predominantly, particularly in British-led militaries, it's not really um, brilliant intuition or uh, kind of novel strategies or uh, interesting new ideas. The mavericks typically don't get rewarded in British military-type hierarchies, okay? That's a dirty little secret of the Western way of war. The, the, the military uh, commands where, or military cultures where maverick leaders are typically the most rewarded are not British or American. Uh, 
they are in fact German, or they used to be back in the day. The imperial, primarily Prussian-led military was a place where they actually held exercises to um, where the officers were given sets of directives that could not possibly lead to victory. The object of the exercise was to weed out the officers who couldn't break the rules. That was the entire point. The Prussians perfected this art of creating a military where a military command structure where breaking the rules was something that officers understood needed to be done from time to time. The British military, the American military, and other similar militaries around the world were much more hierarchical in nature. They were what you might call second-generation militaries. The Indian military has inherited this second-generation warfare mentality. Um, and that leads to a whole bunch of problems, but we're going to focus on the fact that it is a 2GW uh, organization, and always has been. It's never moved beyond into maneuver warfare. So, the, the primary characteristic of Indian men who are successful in military organizations in India is that they can follow orders. That's their primary uh, benefit. Okay, so now you have two classes of people who are considered successful templates for life, considered desirable marriage material. Now you combine that with a culture of the caste system. All right, The culture of the caste system says that there are five castes in India, starting with the educated caste at the top, all right, the, 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 the Brahmins. The next, uh, the, like the, the educated castes are supposed to rule over everyone else because they are the wisest, they are the most knowledgeable. Anyone who's ever had to deal with this nonsense in a Western context knows that this is nonsense, and scholars are most definitively not suited to leading societies, and they shouldn't lead societies. Uh, this is a very Eastern philosophy. It's a very Eastern way of thinking. It's common to both the Confucian Chinese and to the Hindu Indians. Um, and it leads both of them down very bad paths, but you know, be that as it may. And the second caste that comes along in, in the pecking order is the, the Kshatriya class. The, the, the Kshatriya caste, I should say. These are the warriors, the kings, the, the you know, the, the rough and re the, the people who keep, uh, who let people sleep safely in their beds at night because rough and ready men stand ready to do, uh, to do terrible things in their name, stuff like that. I mean, <clears throat> it's not clear whether George Orwell actually said those words, but there you go. That's roughly the phrase. Uh, next lower, the next, uh, group in the pecking order is the Vaishyas, the merchant caste. Uh, the next, you know, the, the the commercial types, the ones who who run the um, who run the stores and and keep people fed and uh, uh, such relatively menial um, menial tasks as that. <coughs> Sorry. The next cast below that is manual laborer, uh, the people who work with their hands. Now these are what you might call the sons of Martha, the the men who basically keep society running by building the roads and um, moving dirt and digging ditches and things of that nature. And the very lowest caste of all are the untouchables, the Dalits, the street cleaners, the, the, the shit gatherers, the people who clean out public toilets. You know, these are the people who get the absolute lowest 
regard of any. And it is not coincidental, by the way, that the caste system is uh, is tightly correlated with skin color. Dalits are, in some cases, blacker than black people. Like Africans will go to India and look at Dalits and go, holy shit, that's one black dude. Uh, and it's true. I mean, that's not just a Russell Peters joke. That's the actual truth. The Brahmins, on the other hand, are very fair-skinned. I know. I've been around quite a few of them. They are quite white-looking. Uh, they're not completely, like, white, but you could easily mistake them for Eastern Europe, uh, for, for, not Eastern Europeans, excuse me, for Mediterraneans. Uh, you could easily make that mistake because they're that light-skinned in many cases. Okay? So now you understand the combination of culture and uh, historical circumstance, which has imprinted upon uh, about four generations of Indians now the fact that the blue pill good provider guy is the one to go for. Combine this, combine these two factors with the fact that Indian culture is titanically sexually dysfunctional. Um, Sex in Indian culture is not discussed. I mean, they're the biggest prudes on the planet. <clears throat> and you'd think this would be weird because Indian culture is, is the culture that gave us the Kama Sutra. It's the culture that gave us all of this, uh, these, uh, these, these weird erotic art images which festoon Indian palaces. I mean, if you visit an Indian palace, you'll see it, you know, in the inner chambers of the, the, the harem uh, or the, of the king. You'll see that sort of artwork all over the walls, and it's weird. Um, but the funny thing is, most of it is not particularly sexually explicit. Um, the, the, the result is a massively suppressed culture where sex is never discussed out in the open. You can get arrested in India for just holding hands in public uh, in some of the more conservative cities. I mean, Calcutta isn't so bad. There are couples who will hold hands and, and sit together and canoodle on public park benches along the along the river uh, and they won't be bothered too much but in some of the more conservative northern Indian cities yeah you can get arrested for that shit and that is outrageous to anybody of a western sensibility I mean if you tell a Russian this he'll just laugh at you that's ridiculous that's how men show affection to their women in public and that's a good thing it's good for men to be affectionate with their women it's good uh, in India it's not good so <clears throat> when you combine this, all of this, all of these factors together, you get a population that primarily preselects for blue pill betas for marriage. A population that uh, primarily wants Indian women who are virgins at the time of marriage. A population that uh, is heavily biased towards arranged marriage, not love marriage. Um, I'm not going to claim that one is superior to the other because there's plenty of evidence to argue that, excuse me, that uh, arranged marriages are in many ways superior to love marriages. But, you know, that's another question, another debate. So that's part of the equation solved. But how do we account for the rest of it? Why are Indian men so easily dominated by their women? Well, a big part of that has to do with the psychologically repressed nature of Indian culture. It is incredibly psychologically repressive. This is not just uh, Indian culture that we're talking about, it's uh, Eastern culture in general. Again, remember, there is no commandment in 
the Indian scriptures, the, the Vedas, so to speak, uh, okay, that I know of, I could easily be wrong, but there are plenty of examples within the Vedas or the Upanishads or whatever texts that Hindus find sacred, where there are plenty of examples where the goddesses rule over their gods, their divine partners, with abandon. I mean, uh, to give you a simple example, Shiva, the god of destruction, and his consort, Parvati. Um, Parvati transforms into the goddess Kali, uh, the, the goddess of death and destruction uh, under duress, and uh, Kali basically dances on the prostrate body of her consort, Shiva, uh, jumps up and down all over him and completely dominates him. Now, there are lots of allegorical readings into that story, but that's, you know, that, 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 is, that is kind of one of the, the blueprints that Indians grow up with. That's, that's one of their cultural touchstones. No such cultural touchstone exists in Christian culture, because in Christianity, uh, the goal is for a man to be married for life to a woman and to separate away from his family. In Indian culture, it's very common for a man to, and his wife to live with his parents. And it's very common for that to result in some serious dysfunctional relationships. Because when an Indian man gets married, he automatically becomes the head of his household. So there's a transfer of power that occurs from the father to the son. And that transfer of power is very difficult for a lot of people to accept, especially the father and the son. And... Uh, you also have a tradition where mothers-in-law openly abuse daughters-in-law when they enter the house. And this is perpetuated throughout the generations. Again, this is not just India, it's also China that has this problem. Uh, if you read Wild Swans by Jung Chang, uh, she, de she details exactly that characteristic in Chinese culture. So you have an, all of these factors coming together to create pussified beaters who grow up with domineering, overbearing mothers. Um, and remember, in a relationship, there is always polarity. A weak father or a weak man will always cause, will always create a reaction of a domineering, dominant, crazy, angry woman. Um, I've had my own share of such experiences. It's not been pleasant. Uh, I have plenty of work to do on my own in this regard. But the difference between me and most Indian guys is I'm well aware of it. And I understand it. Like, I, I get it at some level. Most Indian guys don't have a clue about any of this because they've never absorbed any red pill wisdom of any kind. Um, now, the result of that, dis that this mismatched polarity is, of course, that the weak man is ruled over by his crazy dominant wife, okay, his, his dominant woman. And that gets passed on to his sons. His son grows up seeing a weak man and a, an overbearing mother and he himself becomes that way combine this with the, the the very repressed nature of indian culture where you know some people are like children are not allowed to speak out against their parents children are not allowed to freely express themselves uh children are expected to go into certain career paths they're not allowed to express their own desires and their own wants asian culture in general is very much like this where uh, the idea is that the individual need is suborned, subordinate to the need of the group. So if your family wants you to go into medicine, you go into medicine, even if you prefer to be an architect. 
If your family wants you to become a doctor, you become a doctor, even if your talent is as a mathematician. I saw this happen to a Chinese guy that I went to high school with in Australia. Uh, this guy was a truly brilliant mathematician. I mean, he was a brilliant student. He was, he was one of the highest achieving students in the history of one of the highest achieving schools in Australia, if not the world. Um, he was a brilliant mathematician, but his family wanted him to become a doctor because they thought that that would be a more lucrative career path. They demanded that he become a doctor. So he went to UNSW and studied medicine. It broke his heart and it, it probably broke his mind too because here was a guy with so much potential as a mathematician. He could have, he, he, he might possibly have gone on to win a Fields Medal someday. I don't know, maybe he would have. But all of that potential was lost because his family told him to become a doctor. So he became a doctor. And he was probably a damn good one, but I don't think he likes his job. I haven't seen him in 20 years, but I'm guessing that's probably the case. Um, the same is true of a lot of Indians. A lot of Indians grow up with hopes and dreams and aspirations to be something else. They become what their parents want them to become. So, uh, what else can I say about it? Uh, well, as I said, uh, there is also a uh, one other factor to, to associate with this, this problem, and that is the relative scarcity of women. So, I addressed this in a post called, uh, which was a response to somebody else actually asked me this question. This was back in 2018. Uh, domain query, the subcontinental RFPF. And it had to do with why Indian women are so ugly. And they are. I mean, they're, they're not attractive at all. Um, if you look at the Friday TNA pictures on my blog, you'll notice that not a single one of them is of an Indian woman. Uh, well, except maybe one or two. And they weren't like main uh, attractions in, in any of the pictures uh, or any of the entries from the series. Um, but every pretty much every single woman that I've featured is either white or Asian, meaning Chinese uh, or Japanese, right? Why is that? Because Indian women aren't attractive. They're just not. If you look at the most beautiful film stars from India, the, the hottest Bollywood actresses, and you compare them with even just regular eights, sevens and eights from Russia, the Russians are always better looking, they're always fitter, they're always nicer uh, to look at. Why is that? Because there's a colossal sexual imbalance in India. And again, this comes back to their culture. In India, sons are preferred over daughters and always have been. The result is that there is a very high prevalence of sex-selective abortion and extreme uh, mistreatment of, of women in India, which is, you know, you wouldn't think that this would matter, because of all the stuff that I've just said, but it does. Because India now has an imbalance of anywhere between 30 and 100 million missing women. All right. Indian culture is very pro-male. The result, however, is that you have lots more men than there are women. And in an environment where there are lots more men than women, of course, beatitude becomes inevitable. Because you have a very small number of guys who get any woman that they want and you have a very large number of guys who have to settle for scraps and that is the reason why or that's a big part of the reason why indian women are shockingly unattractive they have really nice hair i mean you can if you look at an indian girl um a typical indian girl will have very long hair and that's a great sign of youth and fertility but it's not in indian women it's not a sign of beauty indian women aren't that attractive the reason for that is because they're kind of 
genetically selected not to be attractive because they don't have to be attractive. There's no, there's no genetic pressure on them to be attractive. Contrast that with Russia, where after World War II, there was a massive shortage of men. 20 million people died in Russia during the Great Patriotic War, and it's kind of appropriate that I'm saying this on this day, because May 9th is Victory Day in Russia, Dien Pobiedi, um, which for them is truly the day of victory. Uh, they sacrificed more than any other country by far uh, in World War II, and most of the people who died were men. So when they emerged out of the hell of World War II, they had a huge imbalance in terms of men versus women. The result was that the men had their pick of the women. Uh, women had to develop strategies to attract men, and that meant being as beautiful as possible. And the result is today, Russian women, along with maybe Colombian and uh, perhaps Argentinian and Ukrainian women, I would say those are the four most beautiful uh, groups of women anywhere in the world. That's why. That's a big part of the reason why Russian women are so beautiful. They have their own grab bag of, you know, crazy shit that you have to get through to deal with them. Uh, believe me, I know. I've been in a, a relationship with uh, a Russian girl for a long time, so I know what I'm talking about. It's enormously challenging, uh, but that's what it's like. They have their own sort of, you know, roster of crazy that you have to get through. Uh, but it's... You know, as, as hard as it is dating a Russian woman, I can tell you that dealing with an Indian woman's psychological war games, um, it was probably much harder. I'm just saying that based on my own knowledge of, of the cultures. Uh, Indian women are, in many ways, crazier, which is hard to believe, but they are. So, I know that, I mean, I've run a bit, quite a bit over time on this, uh, on this podcast, but uh, normally I try to keep these around 20, 25 minutes, but... Uh, I hope that helps to answer the question. Uh, look at it in terms of, you know, uh, speaking to Mr. Univac here, uh, look at it in terms of these, these factors. Uh, number one is the religion, which leads to some very misguided, uh, wrong-headed outcomes for sexual relations between men and women. Number two is the culture. Look at the factors that, uh, that, that pushed Indian men into betatude. Uh, and the fact that Indian culture is very anti-sex in a lot of ways, anti, um, anti, is against is against men and women associating together, um, and is against uh, freedom of expression. Is it, it is not about uh, building holistic relationships between men and women, or between uh, parents and children, but is mu much more hierarchical and built on foundations of unchallenged unquestioned authority to the head of the household, look at it in terms of um, the fact that Indian culture is, still is, so stratified into caste systems where uh, people from particular castes are considered successful automatically, and uh, look at it in terms of the relative scarcity of attractive women. So all of these factors contribute to a system where you have men who are just out of shape, uh, really not good looking. Uh, I've been to Indian gyms where, I mean, I'm like the, I'm one of the few guys who's actually pushing around heavy weight, who's actually trying to push himself in the gym. And I'm not in great shape myself. I mean, I don't consider myself to be ripped or lean because I'm not, but I can 
quite easily squat my own body weight, and I can quite easily deadlift 400 pounds. It's not hard. So, for a guy like me, you know, who's who's built himself up over time into somebody much stronger than the typical Indian guy, uh, dealing with Indian men is painful. It's very unpleasant for me. And that's true for a lot of red pill Indian types who have gone overseas and lived overseas most of their lives, or were born overseas, and uh, they just can't deal with the stupidity and the backwardness of Indian culture. And it is backward. Uh, it, it, the, the, a big part of the reason why a billion and change people are left in squalor and degradation is because of the fact that their culture is so messed up and so dysfunctional in so many ways. That's not the only answer. I mean, a lot of Indians would be mortally offended by me saying that. But you know what? There are other cultures which have been more successful despite overcoming bigger problems over time. So those are my thoughts. Uh, feel free to comment in the comment section either below or on SoundCloud. And uh, I will see you tomorrow for uh, my regular Sunday D Didactic Mind podcast. This is Didact, and this has been uh, the domain query concerning why Indians are such massive blue pill beaters.